Welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast archive of handheld games old and new. I am your host, Chase Kennedy, and I'm particularly excited about this uh, this episode. Uh, one, because uh, I get to talk about one of my favorite games, favorite franchises of all time, and that's Advance Wars. And two, I have the lovely and talented Jeffrey Michael Grubb joining me today. Emphasis on the lovely. <laughs> Big round of applause for Jeff. Woo! I might add an applause break right there. You know what? If, Appreciate it. If I add an applause break, that's because it was a good show. If there's no applause break, you should just probably I'll, I'll stop know. listening right I'll now. I'll take that as, uh, as feedback. That sounds good to me. <laughs> sounds great. Um, yeah, we're talking about Advance Wars, a, a franchise that started on, uh, well, it started way before the Game Boy Advance, but uh, but the Advance Wars franchise as we know it is comes from the uh, Game Boy Advance and then moved on to the DS uh, we haven't quite gotten a 3DS game yet, uh, and hopefully, hopefully that is hopefully that's soon. But we've had we've had some other games uh, from the developer mm-hmm. to tide us over, and and we'll get into that on the show. Um, I guess uh, like like we start most episodes, let's let's kind of talk about the history of Advance Wars and the history of um, like the the people who made it because that's that's pretty cool. It's it's nice to know that kind of stuff. Uh, Advance Wars was made by Intelligent Systems, which is, uh, that's a, I mean, that's a first party Nintendo, or kind of like a second party thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's an internal Nintendo studio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and they've made tons of games that we know. They, they started as, as a, uh, just one guy who was working on porting some, uh, games for the Famicom disc system to NES cartridges, and, uh, and then it just kind of grew and grew. And uh, it started, it all started with, uh, actually, the Advance Wars series, more or less, or Famicom Wars in Japan. Yeah, called Famicom Wars, after the name of the system, Famicom in Japan. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think I had the name of the guy somewhere, but uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Toru Nari Hiro, right there at the bottom of the page I'm looking at. Ah, yes. You are better at Toru? looking at this stuff than I am. Toru. Yeah, Toru. There we go. Yeah. Um... So, uh, what what do we know about uh, intelligence and yeah, intelligence systems? Man, I need to I need to get on the ball. That's um, all right. Um, I, I don't know. I, they seem like one of these developers that just keeps putting out awesome game after awesome game, and yet you never really hear uh, intelligence systems ever really brought up as like one of those key developers. And maybe it's because they're internal at Nintendo, and when you're talking Nintendo. You got to go through so many other developed, like internal studios at Nintendo before you can get to Intelligent Systems. But I just very few developers have a record like this. They, uh, I mean, besides starting with the Famicom Wars, they've uh, established a, a series of really amazing games that I think people might not even realize that they developed, like uh, the Paper Mario series and Tetris Attack, um, games that are beloved. And I, I don't know, I don't know what it is about Intelligent Systems that people just don't seem to really recognize that name when you say it out loud, but I, I don't know. For me, they're one of my favorites. Whenever a new intelligence system game comes out, I'm almost always there on day one, and that includes even the smaller games like Pushmo and Crashmo. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, Paper, Paper Mario is, is a huge uh, franchise for me. Mm-hmm. I, I loved the, the first one on the N64. And, that was uh, in your door was great as well. Um, I had a little bit of a problem with uh, Sticker Star. but Yeah, okay. I, I did too. It didn't, it didn't stop me from buying it day one and, and playing yeah. it <laughs> relentlessly, but it, it was definitely not my favorite of the series. Uh, but but to your point there, yeah, Intelligent Systems is kind of one of those developers that gets it's kind of caught in the mix just because mm-hmm. I, I think one of the problems is it's just yeah it's another thing that's under the umbrella of Nintendo. Mm-hmm. It's who who so. made that game? Ah, Nintendo. Like not not specifically Intelligent Systems. Yeah, it's just another Nintendo game, and they make great games. So yeah, you don't actually really it? hear about like R and D one R and D one, how laboratories. Like, no, one ever talk, yeah, no one really talks about those studios. It's all Nintendo. You're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, but Intelligent Systems specifically, like you said, they worked on on uh, Paper Mario, uh, Pushmo, and Crashmo. They uh, they made they've the. Been, they've been busy in the last uh, year or two. Uh, oh, they've certainly. They've released a ton of games, which is why I think maybe Paper Mario might have suffered a little bit just because they. They've been working on Fire Emblem and uh, Pushmo and Crashmo. They must have a pretty big team over there. But uh, I think maybe that Paper Mario didn't get the attention it needed and some of its mechanics suffered because of that. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, and something else, uh, just for Gamers on the Go people, uh, they, they had a big uh, hand in the launch lineup of the original Game Boy. They, they worked on baseball, golf, and alleyway. Uh, I don't think they're officially credited on those things, but they did do... Uh, some some programming work uh, that that's still kind of when they were pretty young uh, as a developer for Nintendo making things, but um, but yeah, like we said, starts out as a one man team and then it's just grown to to what it is now, which is just a developer that constantly puts out these solid titles. Mm-hmm. They put their head down and they just keep releasing things that that gamers love to play. Like they're really gamer games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's let's get right into the uh, the Famicom series here. The first one we had was Famicom Wars. It came out uh, in August of 1988. Uh, we we didn't see it. It was Japan only. Uh, Japan and Nintendo kind of worried that Western gamers wouldn't appreciate the the turn based combat. Huh? We're too dumb. Yeah, absolutely. We're too dumb, and we just don't want any of those complex, you know, turn based games. We want action games and platformers, something simple. And we have ADHD, and we're dumb. <laughs> Slow-paced, turn-based strategy games. What's that? Yeah. Um, so, so we never saw the, uh, Famicom Wars. Um, it uh, and and the same same way they made a uh, Fire Emblem as well, which which you might know is a is a very similar series to Advance Wars. Uh, similar age as well, right around the same time as like '87 or '89. I know it was like the year after, year before Advance right. War or Famicom Wars, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, and, and that's why we didn't get Fire Emblem either. It's just, that was, that was even more complexity built on kind of an Advance Wars style or a Famicom Wars style game. And America's not going to want that. No, certainly not. Let's keep that only in Japan where all the smart people live. Um, (laughs) two years later, uh, we got Game Boy Wars. Um, and again, Japan only. Um, and at this point, uh, they're just two nations in, in these games. Now with, uh, with the advanced wars that we know, we've have, um, orange star, blue moon, uh, green earth and yellow comet. Uh, but before it's, it was just a, a red and blue team. Uh, it was, it was red star and blue moon and Famicom wars, game boy wars. You, you kind of obviously can't 
uh, have the colors so much. Not pea soup. <laughs> uh, they, they said red star and white moon. Uh, I think that's a little generous to <laughs> say red and white uh, colors were on the Game Boy. But um, what's kind of interesting about Game Boy Wars is it uh, it went on to its own series of games, but those weren't made by Intelligent Systems. They handed the uh, the keys over to Hudson Soft, and Hudson ended up making uh, Game Boy Wars uh, two and. Th- Three or Turbo and two. There were two more games, is what I'm saying. Uh, and again, we we never saw any of those. Um, those games actually did some some kind of tried to do a couple different things, um, and and they had a they had a hex based. Uh, did they really? Battlefield. That's that's interesting. I might go back and seek those out. Then I, I, have you have you tried them at all? I haven't tried playing them. I've I've watched some video of them, and uh, and it does seem very interesting. What's what's weird is just the way they do this hex based grid mm-hmm. because it's not hexagons, which would make sense. It's still squares, but they're just offset in like a brick lane pattern. So oh, you you still have six things around mm-hmm. you, and you can move in any of those six directions. But it just looks a little stilted when you're when you're just looking at a screenshot or something. Uh, it seemed really confusing to me uh, just to be able to to think about terms like that uh, with the uh, with the battlefield the way it's set up in that grid. Um, but Famicom Wars and then Super Famicom Wars, which is the next game here that came out in 1998, uh, again Japan only. Um, that those stayed with the square battlefields, um, which, which I guess is, I mean, it's, it's what seems to work for the, for the franchise and it's what they've continued. Right. They've with. established something that works and they know what they're doing and their fans like it. And you don't really change the hexagons unless you're going to actually make a lot of other changes, I would think. Right. Yeah. The, the hexagons have has their to be way advantages off. in strategy games, which is a whole nother topic, but you, you just, I mean, this is what they've done so far and just like let them. Let them keep doing it. I'm happy with it. I I do prefer hexagons in like newer strategy games for the most part, but it's uh, when it's established like this. I wouldn't want Advance Wars at this point to suddenly have hexagons. That would be weird. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I kind of like the way it it's set up like a chess match in in the way the strategy kind of works, and then exactly in the that you're playing on a square battlefield with squares. Yep, absolutely. Um, so Super Famicom Wars added a couple things. They they added the Green Earth and Yellow Comet, so now we had four four nations. Um, and they also added the the generals, the the COs that we we know from the Advance Wars series. Uh, before they just had it was, this was one team against another team. They were they were exactly the same, but but this adds some slightly uh, unique powers for each of the uh, each of the COs. I don't know how deep it went. Uh, whether it got into the full advance wars, these people, these COs have traits for their army, plus they have kind of CO powers. Um, I, it might have just been that this this fam, Super Famicom Wars was just the CO powers and and none of the unique trait kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was ten years after the first the first game, the first Famicom Wars. So it's yeah. already ten years old, and we still haven't seen it in the U.S. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so crazy. Uh, especially since they to bring it out in the states eventually at all, it just mm-hmm. is, seems seems insane. Uh, Super Famicom Wars also brought us the the trademark trademark Fog of War of the series. Um, so, uh, which I guess you probably just couldn't do, uh, or you you could have done, but it just the, graphically, I think the the Super Nintendo is is able to pull something like that off, and I don't think the NES 
would have done it with anything that, that yeah, like I said, it, it just would have been cloud blasting technology. <laughs> Throw in some mode seven. Yeah, we just yeah. we just love that <laughs> mode seven. Uh-huh. Uh, but we finally did get a, a game in this series with the Game Boy Advance uh, called Advance Wars. Uh, just they were they were sticking with their theme, and uh, it, it came out September tenth, two thousand one. Uh, that's very close to a date all of us in America will know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that, I didn't know that. That's that's crazy. And it actually did have a huge impact on on the game. Not not so much for America. But for Japan and Europe, they decided to hold off on that, hold off on releasing Advance Wars. For some reason, we actually got a, a Japanese handheld game, a Japanese-made handheld game before Japan did. Um, it was only supposed to be like a week of more or less exclusivity, uh, but then our exclusivity. Uh, but then with the 9-11 attacks, Nintendo just kind of pulled back on putting another war game, no matter how cute and, and cartoony and cute. it was. Huh? And it's cute. It's like the cutest war game oh, you can possibly imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Japan wouldn't even get Advance Wars 2, uh, Black Hole Rising, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, they wouldn't get another title. They wouldn't get either of these titles until uh, until much later, 2004, another three years afterward, and they would package Advance Wars uh, 1 and 2. I, I think they called them uh, Game Boy Wars still in uh, in Japan, which just had to be... I, I guess it kind of makes sense, since you're still technically on a Game Boy, but uh, that, <laughs> the naming conventions for Advance Wars are, are kind of astounding. At this point, yes. Um, but the reason we got Advance Wars in the first place, Intelligent Systems put a big focus on uh, easy-to-understand mechanics. They they tried to put in a deep tutorial system, and and then they just kind of convinced Nintendo, hey, you know, let's let's give this a shot in America and see what happens. And because of the game's success, even even with the 9/11 attacks and and kind of everybody having war is kind of this hot buttony issue. It still sold really well and was really successful, and it was a huge reason and why Nintendo kind of changed how they viewed Western gamers' tastes and is is definitely the reason we got Fire Emblem later. Uh, and yeah, absolutely. Super Smash Brothers also had a big part to do in that, too, with, mm-hmm. with Marth and, and Roy in Melee having people just go, oh, wait, who are those guys from? And then kind of building up. But Advance Wars definitely played its part in in showing that the American audience wasn't as dumb as Nintendo thought, which is great. Not quite as I, I guess. You can handle this, at least. <laughs> Backhanded compliment, in a way. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, so for Advance Wars, some uh, one one small change. If you, you heard me say Orange Star before and then Red Star uh, for Famicom Wars. Uh, Orange Star, Red Star became Orange Star in, in Advance Wars for whatever reason. <laughs> um, just weird bit of trivia. Um, I wonder if that had to do with the, this, like, the, the association of Red with communism in the United States. Yeah, I, I kind of considered that. Uh, or or even maybe China or something. I, I, awesome. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. And orange is less threatening in, orange a, is a, in a way. Oranges can't be communist. That's not <laughs> communist. Fascist, maybe, but not communist. Um, Advance Wars actually started as a GBA launch title, uh, but Nintendo felt the game was a little too sophisticated uh, at this point, and or at that point, and then uh, it wasn't well balanced enough either. Um, so they 
And they also selfishly kind of needed Intelligent Systems help with some other launch day titles just to kind of uh, do some extra little programming parts. So the game got pushed back, and and during the time that it got pushed back, uh, Intelligent Systems put a ton of effort into it with a lot of balancing changes. Uh, this is where the game got its cartoony look. Any any time before uh, with Super Famicom Wars or Game Boy Wars or any of those, uh, it was it was more like Army Men um, in in the way it looked. Uh, pixelated Army Men, but um, more in that semi-realistic looking. Uh, we are talking about Game Boy and Super Nintendo graphics, but um, but th- this one definitely took that uh, kind of Japanese anime style cartoony look, and that's what we got with Advance Wars. Um, and this was also where they where they were able to really push the the tutorial, and that's how we got the game to our shores in the first place. Um, Advance Wars Two: Black Hole Rising came out uh, in two thousand three. Um, and like we mentioned before, this one also was not released in Japan. Uh, I think Europe at this point has gotten both of these games, um, but then Japan still waited until the next year to put them out as a bundle. Um, and it was very much the same game as Advance Wars. Uh, all of the maps, uh, or at least all the multiplayer maps made a return and there, there were no real graphical upgrades um, there, there were a few new units added to the game. I, I feel a little weird talking about specific units right now since we, we haven't really even mentioned the game. Maybe this should right. just be a good time to split off from the history lesson and, and just talk about these, these games proper if you, if yeah, you sure, haven't played one. Um, this is a, this is a turn-based strategy game. And, uh, it's, uh... It's like a, a really streamlined version of a tactics game. There it's in a lot of complexity, but it's it's still very deep. It's uh, it takes you know you ever you take turns just like in chess. There are different pieces that do different things, and there's a very very slight resource management system. Um, I guess so. You just kind of start out with a few guys, and you're supposed to attack and kill everyone on the other side or capture their capital. And then if you capture their capital, you win or whatever. But uh, you can also summon new units by capturing cities around these capitals and gathering money and then buying new units to help you fight this war of attrition. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, it's, there's not much more to it than, than that kind of – and then you just – there's a lot of complexity and depth within that sort of basic function, those basic systems. Right. It's, it's kind of that basic idea, but then they layer on – Mm-hmm. Um, some some kind of rock paper scissors style combat, um, right? With and, and then with the CO powers types. do come into play every once in a while, and right? And, and the COs in general will will change the abilities of of units on the battlefield slightly, um, right? So, uh, for for instance, there's a, there's a character named Max who's a CO, and his specialty is direct combat. So. Getting getting in a tank, going right up next to uh, a unit, and then blowing them away. Uh, he'll and he's get, weak with ranged attacks, things that wouldn't attack from directly in the next square. Uh, his would all always be weaker and wouldn't have quite as much range. Right. He'd he'd lose a square of of vision with uh, mm-hmm. with that range there. Whereas a, a good parallel or a good foil would be Grit, who uh, is basically the exact opposite of Max. His uh, his direct combat units. Uh, don't do as much damage and will take a little bit more damage. Um, and then he gets an extra square of, um, 
of vision range for his indirect combat units. And he carries a sniper rifle, right? Uh, he carries a pistol. Pistol. But then he, he talks about being a sniper a lot. Okay. Uh, I, I only know so much about Grit because he is the only character I will ever use. I, I've, <laughs> tried, I've tried some of the other characters. They're fun. But I, I love the indirect combat. I love getting out uh, artillery units and rocket units and, uh, and big battleships. And uh, and just daring the opponent to, to right. come into really my area. Right, really establish a uh, sort of a line of defense and just yeah, like let them get engulfed by your your claws as they you know drive their tanks right into the middle of you, and then you just take them out from all sides. Exactly, it's a it's a good strategy in, in most of those games. Um, now we also have uh, I, we mentioned we mentioned these land units that that have indirect and indirect combat. There are also air units. Uh, they're, uh, helicopters and, and jets and bombers and those kind of things. And then we also have naval units. Uh, I mentioned, uh, battleships, but then there are also cruisers that can, that are good against flying units. And then there are submarines that will take out other naval units and are able to hide. They're, they're it's, again, like, like we kind of mentioned, it's like chess where these different pieces have different functions. And, uh, and it's like paper, rock, scissors in that. The, the aerial vehicles can very easily take, be taken out by an anti-air gun on the ground, and the anti-air gun is weak against tanks, and tanks are weak against bombers, and it all kind of – it spins really nicely into a really easy-to-understand uh, paper-rock-scissors mechanic. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's any other just turn-based strategy game that really does that mechanic better than Advance Wars. Uh, well, you could argue – uh, Fire Emblem, but that's because those it, games it, it, are. It's more complex, similar. and there's a lot more. There's a lot more to take into account. So I mean, maybe it's apples and oranges because they're one's just doing this very simple uh, paper rock scissors, while the other one's doing paper rock scissors. But then there's all these other things to consider that could you know throw the numbers up or down. I don't know. At least in, I've only played the the latest one for uh, 3ds, the latest Fire Emblem, and that one it seems like the, the paper rock scissors mechanic matters. You know, like swords are better than axes or whatever, but you can go in there every once in a while, and if you have the right character, even if he's using the wrong weapon, he'll still come out ahead. Uh, whereas in Advance Wars, you always know the damage that's going to be done when you're using one type of a, a, a when you're using a tank against uh, an anti-aircraft. You, you know, you're almost always going to take it out completely every time. Right, um, and and I think that I mean that's that's the real split between Advance Wars and Fire Emblem is is this RPG mechanic that that Fire Emblem uses where. You can grow characters and and they gain levels, so you can overcome their their disadvantages in, in battle that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I haven't played too many advanced or too many Fire Emblem titles. Uh, I just played Shadow Dragon before, which was on the DS, which was a remake of the original Fire Emblem with a ton of changes. Uh, and I, I found that the the lance, sword, um, axe, um, paper, rock, scissors style combat there mattered a little bit more, but then you also only had a set amount of, of um, missions to play. So you couldn't really over-level a character uh, to, oh, okay. to have that it be effective. Yeah. I'm, I'm grinding my characters in Fire Emblem right now, so it feels oh, like... Yeah, me too. I, yeah, I still want to be prepared. Those, those battles could be pretty intense otherwise. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's why this newer Fire Emblem is, is an easier game... Uh, when compared to some of the older games in the series, I believe it. Um, but uh, but no less fun. Um, see, are there any other 
mechanics introduced later that we should get to now, or should we wait till we get to the games? Um, the, the DS games they had some up screen, they had some top screen, bottom screen stuff going on. Well, we can mention a, a couple of changes that were added in, or a couple of things that were added in uh, in Advance Wars Two. Just just really a couple of units. Okay, yeah. There was a there was a new tank unit before they had a, a small tank and then a medium tank, which is always weird that they had this medium tank, but that was the biggest yeah, a, tank you big have. Tank, yeah, <laughs> I um, that was weird too. So you were wondering, well, where's the where's the big one? Yeah, then I'm like, eventually I'm going to get the the heavy tank, right? <laughs> and it never, never happened until a couple games later. Right. Advance Wars Two brought out a better tank. It's called the Neo Tank. There were these kind of spheres that had kind of spherical at at walkers from yeah the hoth the attack they had a they had a spider feel to them yeah but they and didn't even their legs just sort of had wheels on them for some so they just kind of rolled with legs. Yeah. weird thing yeah they looked like uh shopping carts almost in the way yeah, exactly just, okay yeah sure I, I guess that'll work but they were incredibly powerful mm-hmm. um and and so that unit was added um there were also a couple new pieces of terrain the, in Advance Wars, there's this terrain system where you have these flat plains, and then you have uh, roads and mountains and forests, and I guess you also have um, some different different things for the water. There are some coral reef shoal kind of things that will give you more defense, and then there are also yeah, bo- beaches. Yeah, boost your defense in your attack or whatever. That, that, that's another mechanic we forgot about. Um, I, oh, hell, I forgot what I was going to say. I think... Um, I don't know. Just keep going. I forgot. Okay. Uh, well, just the, the terrain is also part of the things you need to, to take in, into consideration when you're playing the Advanced Wars series. It's not just the units you have, but if you have um, if you put a unit in the middle of a river and they're trying to cross this river, they're going to be really wide open to enemy attack. Or if you put an infantry unit, which is the only unit that can go into a mountain uh, range, if you get them into the mountain range, they'll have a lot of, um, a lot of defense and a really great position to fire on the enemy. Um, because this is turn-based, it doesn't. It, it's never really that involved as as it kind of might sound. But uh, it's just you, making there's sure. There's a lot of information. It tells you what's going on in every every square. Tells you what's going to happen, so you could take into account really quickly how the battle's going to turn out. So you can really use the best strategy, and you can move your characters around to sort of get an idea of what it would be like before you actually commit to the movement. And you can always cancel out, bring them back, and move them somewhere else if you realize, you know, halfway there that it's not going to work out. Um, and I think in the way that this is what I was going to say is that it's just so ex- supremely balanced. Everything seems really well thought out. Um, and you never feel like any one unit is the one unit you always need. Um, maybe the Neo Tank eventually became that in Advance Wars 2. Um, but at least in Advance Wars, the original on the Game Boy Advance, I always felt like everything, everything sort of... Uh, fit perfectly together in this uh, this cohesive idea of of battle and you always you always had to be thinking on your toes because no one strategy was going to work for an extended period of time right uh you never had you, you never had a super advantage over the opponent uh at the very beginning of a match at, at any mm-hmm. point unless you were using the uh the map editor and made your own map which is which is one of the best parts of the series in my mind i loved making maps um, and, and you could, you could outfit yourself pretty, uh, pretty heavily in that. I, I remember I made one map specifically that just had this very long bridge and I gave, uh, I just, oh, I mean, I put so many indirect rocket units and, and they were all <laughs> on cities so they could all get restocked and, 
and have good defense. And then I just let the opponent have as much money and as many uh, factories and unit-producing pr- places as he wanted. And I just let those lambs come to the slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> and I just saw how... It was it was like a horde mode in that way of just how long can I hold out until uh, until he finally gets me. But you could... Uh, that was the only way to imbalance the game, is to, to actually go in and yourself with a with a map and, and to change kind of the rules, the way of things were played. But Right, because it wasn't just their, the mechanics that were well-balanced. It was their map design that was so well thought out. Yeah, I, just putting putting a mountain in this very specific spot mm-hmm. where you, you know you're going to control the flow of battle because uh, you have land units that can't cross that, and you have air right. units that could, So you'll but you also put the airport maybe two squares back so it can't quite make it over that mountain range and... Uh, it's it's all just it's really interesting to to think about and to kind of analyze uh, the the people who made these maps and and just how they were able to come to these decisions to make them all balanced because there are so many of them mm-hmm. and yet and, I, and it's not easy it's not an easy thing to do and that's evidenced by uh, a numerous uh, releases that are similar to the Advanced Wars series especially on mobile phones where you can tell they want to just kind of there's this one called Battle for Mars or something like that on. Uh, on Android and iOS, and it used to be on my old sidekick uh, a couple years back. And it was identical to Advance Wars in every way, except for it just didn't understand the importance of balance. And, I mean, it's got to be an expensive process, because I can imagine the only way to really do it is to play and then tweak and play and tweak and play and tweak. And that takes time. And they, that, this probably the small team didn't could, couldn't afford that. So maybe they were doing it over time, but it just it wasn't the same, and I, I, I'm, I never had an appreciation for just how supremely executed the balance was until I started playing other games that are similar that didn't pull it off as well as Advance Wars. Right. Uh, I, I remember reading interviews and reading articles was just going over research for this this episode, and that the the team would would be playing and constantly balancing. But then they'd also send uh, that, that we had the the game designer, the the lead designer. He would send a report of all the things that he thought were imbalanced about the game to Nintendo's QA department, and then they would take his uh, his uh, advice into into consideration, and then they'd also be playing it for a ton and getting a lot of information. They'd send it back, and there was just all this back and forth until Nintendo came in and said, hey, uh, guys, we, we should probably ship this at some point. <laughs> and and that's just where they had to stop because they could constantly go back in and keep tweaking things like oh let's move this forested area you know one space up and then that'll change the things here and that that way this bottleneck doesn't bottleneck so hard and uh, just uh, it, this is all super fascinating to me I'm I'm sure it can be pretty nerdy and boring uh, to somebody else who who at least hasn't played the series but well, it, uh, it is interesting in this aspect that that the developer did get enough time at that point to really make something that that I, I think is special. Um, and maybe today the developers wouldn't get that amount of time because you could ship it and you can always fix it with an update. And that, you know, it's not possible in a Game Boy Advance. Uh, the right. thing doesn't even connect to the Internet, let alone, you know, have a hard drive or, or, or you know, disk space available on the cartridge to support you know, a, a download and an update. So... They had to get it right before they shipped it, and and then they did, and that's impressive. Back when the Nintendo Seal of Quality meant something, man. <laughs> Good these, old days. Not these day one patches. It's <sighs> with these kids <laughs> playing these broken games on launch day. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, I think to that to that point of just all of this balance and all of this time that it put in, I think that's why we got for Advance Wars Two a lot of those same maps, and and even for the the other Advance Wars games, we got many of these just map recyclings because they are already perfectly balanced maps, and you're going to ask us to go and make another 30, 40 more of them. Like, let's just put in some of the old ones, too, uh, because we've already spent the time and effort in those. And, it, you know, and it's... Every game of chess hasn't isn't ever going to be played throughout time. Like, there's always going to be a, a new game of chess where two people do something different that's never been done before. You know, it's called the novelty. So if you kind of give people enough of these boards, there's no way you can ever play enough multiplayer to actually play every single move that's possible. So, yeah, just keep putting these out and make kind of, you know, almost a, a, an eSport in that way. You know, it's not, but it, mm-hmm. it can be in that way and that people are playing it over and over and always coming up with new strategies for the same units and the same maps. Right. It definitely has the balance to be an eSport game. It just Absolutely. probably doesn't have the uh, the excitement around it. Yeah, yeah exactly. To garner attention. Uh, but just with the maps, I... I've played a lot of Advance Wars, and I've played all the ones that have come out, uh, to the U.S. at least, and I'm sure I haven't even touched 10% of the of all the maps that are available, mm-hmm. just with the ton of content that you get out of this game. Um, now, we were talking about Black Hole Rising in the second game. There were a couple of other things that were added. Uh, I think the Neo Tank was the only new unit, but we did get two, piece, new, yeah, two new pieces of terrain. One was a one-use missile silo that allowed you to to shoot this uh, this missile uh, at any point on the field, and it would take out uh, a, a set amount of units. In, right. in Advanced Wars, each unit actually is 10 units, and then that is the that kind of works as their percentage of what is left of the fighting force of that. Right, you so can, when we say there's, when we're using a tank unit, those are 10 individual tanks inside one unit that you actually move around. It's a little battalion. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that will that will take out part of that their battalion of of that unit, and then you can go in and try to uh, wipe up the rest of them. Uh, there was also uh, an untraversable pipeline uh, terrain piece that that just kind of was was used as a way of of really blocking uh, units from going somewhere. If you really wanted to create a bottleneck, or if you really wanted to make sure. Um, that that people couldn't get across something. That's where you. That's where they would put uh, this piece of pipeline. Um, because in the in the original Advance Wars or in all the Advance Wars games, you can there are maps that will sometimes not have um, airports or not have um, uh, shipyards where they will force you to only use a certain type of unit. Uh, some maps will even not even have any sort of unit building. Uh, pieces of terrain, and you'll just have to really make do with what you have. And, and that, it really gets into a kind of a game of chess where you have a set amount of pieces, they have a set amount of pieces, and you just go. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in those kind of maps where you might have had air units, they can just go around anywhere. But now for Advanced Wars 2, they've got this pipeline where even advan- or even flying units can't uh, cross them. So that was a way of, of leaving in the air units, but then also being able to keep the kind of bottlenecks that didn't allow air units to just kind of have free reign over the map. Yeah, conquer the map, yeah. Um, there, there were also a few new commanding officers that were added, and then the idea of super CO powers. Uh, so for CO powers, uh, we didn't really mention that when we were talking about the original 
the original game, but um, something like going back to Grit, uh, just because he's the one I know, uh, Grit already has a really large uh, indirect fire range, but when he uses his CO power, uh, he gets... builds up on a meter over time, yeah. Right, that that builds up, uh, well, over time, and then also from the amount of damage that you're doing. Right. Um, And I think maybe capturing capturing, uh, terrain will also uh, add to that meter. But his CO power is, uh, I don't remember exactly what it's called, it's something like Snipe Attack, and it will add even more range, and then you just, your your units become a little more powerful, and in terms of grit, he's able to shoot even farther, uh, which can come to come as a surprise to a lot of opponents, uh, which is really great for me. <laughs> uh, but other people will have, like like we talked about with Max as well, he, he already has his direct fire units have a lot of power. So with his power, he'll be able to make them even stronger, and they'll they'll destroy things that they normally would have only taken off five fifty percent of of whatever the unit's power was. And and there are some other ones that that are a little more interesting than just longer range or more power. Yeah, Andy can fix things like he can like do a burst that does like two or adds two health to all the units or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what what the what was the girl's name? I can't Sandy? remember her name. I could, okay, I remember her power though. She uh. Didn't, it improved everyone's uh, uh, like walking distance. They could move like one block further, or they could, and I think maybe they could capture a little bit more, like twelve instead of ten, when they were capturing cities and capitals. Right. Yeah. the The range of all units was increased, and then uh, only infantry units, uh, right, or infantry, and they're called mech units, but they're yeah. they're just guys with bazookas. Mm-hmm. Um, they they're the only ones who were able to capture property in uh, in the Advanced Wars series. And uh, and they were able to capture it a little bit more. Yeah, I think you're right that it was only it was only a couple of extra. But at that point, that can make a big difference. It can make, yeah, absolutely. Uh, each capture point needs uh, twenty. You need to put in twenty points to it to capture. So if and you each have a, time, you, if you lose any health, you only you, know, you can capture ten at any one time. But if you lose health, like just get shot a little bit, and you only have eight eight health on that one guy or eight guys left, it'll only capture eight. So then you need at least three turns capturing the capital before you can actually, you know, capture it for your team. Right. So so Sammy allows you to, to have your injured units still uh, take take as much property as possible. And and she's kind of the one where maybe you can slip in behind enemy lines if you can if you can pull it off real well and then capture their base and end the entire map instead of having to destroy all of their units uh, like I tend to to play the game. Really? I, I, don't I, I almost always captured the, the, the bases. Really? But I, I didn't use um, indirect. I, I used indirect as much as I had it, but I, I almost never used grit. Um, I would use max often, but um, I, I would kind of uh, shuffle between a lot of them. But, uh, yeah, I almost always captured the capital, the opposing team's capital. That's interesting. It's just it's cool to see people playing the game differently. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Uh, I, I was reading – this kind of get off just a little bit, but uh, the – Lead designer on Civilization V, which is another turn-based strategy game. Um, he, he's going on to develop this new game. It's on Kickstarter right now, and he's he wrote this kind of treatise on what's wrong with strategy games and what you can do to fix them. And he had a picture of Advanced Wars, and he kind of said it was a, a more of a puzzle game because there's like a, a, a often on these levels it's set up where there maybe there is a correct path to conquering the level. And that's true in the early stages when you only have like Andy. There is a best way to conquer the level, but when you have, when you're selecting from a bunch of different characters, 
you can implement different strategies, and it, and it is a strategy game. Um, I think it kind of means that maybe it can be a little bit like those chess as puzzle games where they give you a, a certain circumstance in chess, and you're supposed to figure out the best way out of it. Right. Um, and, and you know, the thing is, there's usually still so many multiple answers to that as it is in Advance Wars that it's still you're most people are going to be employing strategy because it's really hard to actually discover the best possible solution. Um, but but I, I really do feel that Advance Wars still is very much a strategy game over over this idea of chess as a, as a puzzle. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, yeah, I, I just think this is evidence of that as well, the fact that you played it one way, I played it another, and I, I felt like, at least in the single-player game, I was, I was pretty decent at it. Right, we're both relatively successful at the, at the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know if I've actually beaten a, an Advance Wars game. Um, part of it is just maybe I, I went into the multiplayer stuff uh, a little bit too much, uh, and kind of just left the campaign to what it is. Um, and, and partly, I, I liked. I liked the idea that they were chess matches um, mm-hmm. with with equal number of pieces or equal number of units. But in the campaign, they'll often put you, especially at the end of the game. They'll often put you at a huge disadvantage in number of units, or or have you doing uh, a lot of different things to or th- places you need to capture to mm-hmm. kind of cut off the enemy from overwhelming you. And, and you use the fog of war really smartly, and you need to not be so aggressive a lot of times, or at least the way I played it. I don't know. Maybe you were playing it some other way where these things didn't really matter. But for me, I always felt wanted to get in there and kill them and sort of uh, uh, sneak up and get their get their capital. But I, I couldn't really employ that strategy anymore, so I really needed to change things up, and that—that's when the game gets really interesting, at least in the single-player campaign. Yeah, uh, I, I think I was more of a chicken who didn't use the fog of war often. Like I would—I would go in and play multiplayer or the versus matches that you could also play in multiplayer, um, and and I'd always turn off fog of war just because one, it was really helpful to a person who used indirect combat to be able to <laughs> see everything, um, but but two, I also just kind of liked. I liked the way I, I keep mentioning chess, but it's that—that that is the reason I really love this game. Is that you see all you can see all of your opponent's pieces, you can see all of your pieces, and then you see how they interact together to, to play the game, and and that's what I find really fun. Uh, Fog of War is an interesting thing t- that I try occasionally, um, but I, I see it as it, it's a different way of playing that rewards different a different skill set. Um, yeah, I, I, there are some. Diehards like Shu, uh, uh, Dan Shu, uh, my editor, who will only play uh, with Fog of War on, and he'll 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 he will call you a chicken if you don't play with Fog of War <laughs> on. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you you're playing it wrong. But I, I I'm one of those that can kind of bounce back and forth. I do see uh, I do see the value in both. They're they're both they are, they do change the game so much that it really is two different play styles and you could play like if it were an esport these would be two separate events the right. you know no fog of war and fog of war because you and have I, you have this like unit back and forth you have this unit that's specifically made for fog of war called the recon unit recon, right um, and and even though it's a unit that's pretty good against infantry uh, soldiers and kind of has its own um, it, it does have its own thing that it does if you're playing without fog of war but the whole idea of the recon unit is that it can go farther than most units can, and it has this big vision range, which yeah, only comes in account if you're playing with Fog of War. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm used to being told I play games wrong. Uh, I'm also <laughs> playing the new Fire Emblem on casual. Uh, oh, you're so, wrong, man. Uh, yeah, I just I must be some big chicken. 
um, <laughs> who apparently cares about story and just wants to go support conversations. And um, I, I've been restarting most of my fa- my my uh, Fire Emblem battles over and over because I keep losing people because I'm playing on uh, the hardcore mode or whatever. Sure, and I don't want my people to die. So I don't know. I think you might be doing it right because I'm just playing these battles. I restarted them. Some of them like four or five times. Yeah. I, I've gr- that's why I've, gr- I've grinded so much, so I don't have to do that, and I've avoided that recently. But man, the, I think the the fifth the fifth battle, I, I probably played that one fifteen times before <laughs> I finally really? got through it. So, so I'm, maybe maybe you're doing it right, and I'm doing it wrong. Well, it is kind of nice uh, as a person who has always enjoyed the Advance Wars series more than Fire Emblem until at least now. Um, I've I've always had this kind of style of play with, with Advance Wars. You have these. Uh, occasionally disposable units, uh, especially when you are able to make more units when when they're pre-deployed uh, uh, and you have no way of of adding more, then it kind of goes into a more fire emblemy place. Uh, but I'm used to just throwing out a big tank that I know will get destroyed because hey, I have another tank that's that's just about to come up uh, the path and kind of replace it. Uh, with fire emblem, you don't get that. Every soldier kind of has their own story, and if you lose one. You're not getting them back. Um, it, it's two, they're two very different takes. Um, they seem very similar on the surface, but they they do have these intricacies that make them different. Where Advance Wars, Advance War is this uh, sort of idea of the battle as this war of attrition, where you need to be think, at least in most of the, the, the maps, you need to be thinking about getting gathering these resources from these outside cities and establishing you know, a, a good line of defense while you are bringing forward more units. Uh, whereas in Fire Emblem, it's more like these small skirmishes with a uh, an elite strike force. Like you are SEAL Team 6 or whatever fighting against another SEAL Team 6, and we'll see who comes out. You know, it's these little individual units that are super powerful. Um, but if you lose any one of them, it's a big deal. Whereas Advanced Wars, you know, it, maybe in certain circumstances, losing one of these units is a big deal. But most of the time, you, you do have a contingency, a plan where if you lose that, then maybe plan B can come into effect and you can still win the map, maybe. Right. And, and I think that's why I'm really enjoying this new Fire Emblem is that it it's blurs the line slightly more with this casual mode, allowing me to, to throw out my big general guy who can take a lot of damage right into the fray. And if he dies, well, he's probably taken out a couple guys with him, and mm-hmm. then I'll just get him back at the end of the match because he... It, it, Pokemon style will uh, go out with some kind of injury Faint, and have yeah. to bow out, and and you'll just get him back later. Now, it, I, real quick, I don't want to talk too much about Fire Emblem, but well, I think the reason that I do uh, enjoy the, the fact that I did start this a hardcore uh, rather than switch to casual really quickly after realizing how hard it is, is it really does make me think about the battle uh, differently. I have to really consider every move, and every move is important. Um, and that's not something I really always do in Advance Wars. I uh, used to, and, and this is, you know, kids don't do this. I used to drive to work every day, a 45-minute drive back when I was working at the, the FedEx, uh, this FedEx place, you know, taking packages or whatever, um, you know, not dealing with customers. And I would I would drive there, and I would play Advance Wars on my Game Boy Advance while driving. Like, I, I could do that. I couldn't do that with Fire Emblem. And I, you shouldn't do it with Advance Wars. <laughs> But I, I did, and I could, because it was like, you know, I can sort of take into account like, all this information really quickly, think about it while I'm not looking at the screen, and then come back and do all my moves. Um, and in, in Fire Emblem, if I kind of glance over it like that, if, I, if I'm sort of, sort of skimming the information it's providing to me, and it is a lot more information, but if I'm skimming it, 
there's a good chance I'll make a mistake. Uh, and, and I'm just glad that there, these two games exist. There is one where I can sort of try a bunch of stuff, be kind of crazy, and there's not as many uh, – it's not as punishing. Whereas in Fire Emblem, I want it to be punishing because that's a game that, that, that I want to play sometimes as well too. And then at the same time, I'm glad it does have this new option because there is a place in between, like you were saying. Yeah, certainly. And, and even the story of the at least this new Fire Emblem, and I, I believe most of the stories of the other Fire Emblems have these themes of um, you know you caring about your units, and mm-hmm. and, and, and they even they even have these conversations that go on where um, one specifically uh, where you're playing. Uh, this is going to get real specific into advanced or into Fire Emblem. But you have your your pre-made or you have your uh, customized character that you've made, and in a support conversation with uh, this character named Virian, uh, you'll actually be playing a uh, the the two characters will be playing a game. You never see the game be played, but your character is talking about how he can just never defeat Virian, and how how is Virian so good? Because your character is the strategist for the whole Fire Emblem army that you're controlling, and Virian explains it that. He's making he's making these decisions that he could never make in a real life battle. He's sacrificing units um, and and really using kind of some more underhanded tactics or, or just tactics that care less about the the health and safety of his units to just ensure victory. And then he praises your character for taking taking the higher road and and to not use your units as objects but as people. Hey, that gets again. It's not nearly that deep. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's got some good writing, though. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a well-written game for the yeah, most part. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the eight four guys did all the yeah, localization, uh, so we we gotta love them. Yeah, they're on a roll. Um, all right, so let's let's kind of get back into the history stuff. We talked a lot about mechanics. You should you should now at least have a basic idea, <laughs> uh, and probably more of an advanced idea <laughs> of how this uh, how this series works. Um, in two thousand five, we got two games. Kinda more, more like one and a half. Uh, we got Advance Wars Dual Strike uh, for the Nintendo DS. Uh, real fancy with the name there that they added. This this was during the time where every DS game had to have DS initials as to be a subtitle. Fair, with Nintendo, it's usually. I mean, the Super area, Super era, everything was Super, and then. And then Nintendo, Nintendo 64 era, everything was 64. Right. And, and now right. DS. Yeah, they, they love that. They love that. DS, and now we have 3D and, and U um, happening with the Wii U as well. Yeah, um, Dream Drop Distance. <laughs> yeah, that was that one might have been a little more inspired. That's a, that's a war crime. That's terrible. <laughs> um, I, I like it a little better here, though, because you have real names that, that just work in the, uh, the acronym. Um, so, Advance Wars Dual Strike, uh, there was Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow, um, I'm blanking on other ones, but I'm sure there were others. Um, isn't wordplay great? <laughs> um, this, this was the first Advance Wars we got for, for the DS, it came out, uh, about a year after the DS, uh, was already out, and, uh, this, this was a huge overhaul for, for Advance Wars fans. Uh, they took advantage of the dual screens by, um... For some maps, you would play the game just normally, and you'd have all of your unit info on one of the screens, uh, while the battlefield was on the other, which was really nice, uh, because you'd have to kind of switch uh, to those things or, or have some kind of clunky HUD elements in uh, in the previous games. But then uh, there were also matches where you'd have another battle going on on that top screen, Um 
and and you'd have these two front battles where you'd have to control two COs at the same time. Uh, well, I mean, it's still turn-based, so you'd have one take a turn on the bottom screen, and then you go to the top screen, and then your one on the top screen takes a turn. Um, but that that added it added some strategy in the in the way that um, when the top screen battle was decided, that's kind of this secondary front. Uh, when that one was decided, there would be advantages that would go to that winning team on the bottom screen. Uh, in the form of of getting that second CO to to join you, so you could use these tag team attacks, uh, and then I think could you could you bring units back down? I know you could send some of your units on the bottom screen up to the top screen. I, I don't remember. I, yeah, I know you could do that, but I don't remember if you could bring them back down. Mm-hmm. I think maybe there was one level where you could, but otherwise you can't. I think that's what I'm remembering. But dual stuff. I mean, at a certain point, they all start blending together for me. Oh yeah, certainly. Uh, like even even before doing the research, I was like, okay, which which game brought in black boats? I think that was mm-hmm. Advance Wars Two. Nope, nope, that's Dual Strike. Oh damn it! Uh, well, well then this game definitely had to bring in this part. No, no, it was this other game. Like, oh jeez, uh, I did actually go back and play. Similar art style, so it really does it makes it even harder. Sure. Um, so Dual Strike uh, it added that second front thing that uh, was was interesting. I think in the campaign it kind of ended up being a detriment because there were. Uh, there was one map specifically that I could never beat where there was a volcano, an active volcano at the top screen, and you had to beat the the secondary front in a set amount of turns before the volcano exploded and took out everybody everywhere. I remember um, struggling with that one, too. I think I eventually beat it, but I, m- I remember struggling with it. And you are a stronger man than I because I could <laughs> I could just never get past it. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a thing where just grit wasn't effective and I was still using grit. Who knows? Stubborn. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I never got past it, and then I just went on to the to the versus mode, and and that's kind of where my bread bread is buttered anyway. Um, so you had that. There were there were some new units added. Uh, the mega tank. This was this was the big tank. Now we finally yeah, got the big tank okay. in this one. Um, it was very. It had a very limited range uh, and very limited ammunition, but uh, it basically killed anything in its path. Um, and, and so that was your, that was a big new tank upgrade, um, that, that rivaled even the Neo tank in terms of power. Uh, there was also a unit called the Pipe Runner, which was an indirect combat unit, uh, that could, um, that could move along the pipelines that had been added in Advance Wars 2. Um, mm-hmm. so those were, I loved those as an indirect guy that you had these, <laughs> They were only on a set path, but they had a huge range and had some pretty decent power uh, with them as well. Um, and I think they could also attack things that were right next to them. Um, like most indirect combat units will have uh, a space right next to them, or if, if right, you're a bigger like one, even a couple spaces. Uh, but I think pipe runners didn't have that disadvantage, if I remember right. Um, and then there was also a unit called Uzium which uh, was just kind of this blob that uh, is amorphous blob that could only move one square in any direction uh, yeah. per turn, but it also was an instant kill. So it kind of, kind of worked like a king on a chessboard, uh, if, you're, if you think of it that way, uh, without mm-hmm. the disadvantages. Um, and then um, we also got uh, the Black Boat, which I kind of mentioned before. This was uh, a unit that was able to carry... 
infantry units. Uh, there was already a boat that kind of did that called the Lander. It could carry any type of unit. Uh, the the black boat could only carry infantry units, but that could also repair uh, other units uh, by by one or ten percent, um, and that was that was kind of helpful. Um, and then there was an aircraft carrier that allowed you to dock um, some of your your planes on that, where they could. Uh, be out of the out of the range of, of other uh, units that specifically fired on air units, um, and um, the aircraft carrier. Um, I think it also had its own attacking for for certain different things. Um, I'm I'm forgetting now. I didn't use the aircraft carrier that often. Um, yeah, I didn't as well. And then also the cruiser, uh, which is a, a which was a boat that primarily focused on uh, submarines and air units, or actually that's all it could attack in the, in the previous games. That got the uh, ability to now ta- attack any naval unit, um, not super effectively, but um, it did give you that extra little option to make those units slightly more useful. Um, in the air, we, all, we got a stealth bomber that worked a lot like a submarine in that it could disappear uh, from the battlefield unless uh, an opponent was standing right next to it. Um, but it just it worked as kind of a a plane between the the fighter jet and the bomber, uh, and it gave you some more flexibility in that. But they were really expensive, and like a submarine, they also burned a lot of fuel, and uh, and could usually only last a, a few turns if you were really using them a lot. And then there they, was also, they had a specific use, but they weren't great units to use on every turn. Right. Exactly. Um, and they're they're super expensive. Like uh, I'm going to get real nerdy because I just finished uh, I just finished playing a match before we started this uh, episode. They're like twenty four thousand, and uh, <laughs> and for that for that money you can build four uh, four artillery units. And why would you ever need one stealth bomber when you can get four really great <laughs> pieces of artillery? Um, and, and then we also got a black bomb that kind of worked like a like one of those missile silos from the previous games. And there were missile silos in this, too. They came back as well. But the Black Bomb, you you kind of controlled as a uh, as like a remote-controlled uh, missile, and you could have it go right into the middle of enemies and then have it explode, um, doing a lot of damage. Uh, I don't this think... is still Dual Strike? Yeah, this is still Dual Strike. Um, uh, they also added a comm tower, which uh, powered up all of your units very slightly. Um, both offensively and defensively, so you wanted to make sure you got those just to give you that little extra boost to your skills. And then there was also a new weather effect. Before they had uh, clear days, rainy days, which would affect the the fog of war. If it was raining, uh, your units would only be able to see one space uh, in in any direction around them uh, instead of their normal vision range. Um, I think that's the case. Maybe Maybe it was just that it it limited it slightly. I don't quite remember. Um, and then there was also snow, which uh, severely slowed down all of your units. And then also I... Uh, oh, no, that was a CO power. Um, there's there's a character, one of the, one of the main um, rivals of, of Orange Star, that's the team you usually play, is, uh, is Blue Moon, and specifically this guy named Olaf, who will... Uh, his CO power is this blizzard that will make it snow for a turn and will drain some of your uh, 
your uh, fuel from your units so they're not able to move much at all. Um, but snow on its own would just would just hamper the um, the mobility of all your units. Yeah, we'll go slow, except for his guys, except for Olaf's guys. Right, and that was that was his advantage. Um, <clears throat> um, but the new weather effect was is this sandstorm, and that would hinder both the movement and it would limit uh, indirect fire in units' range. Uh, with rain, you still had the same range; you just had um, a less of a vision. Um, vision range, but you still had the same attack range. Um, so sandstorms would would change that slightly. Um, they also added. Did you ever play the uh, the combat mode, which was this real time mode on? Uh, I think it had its own set of maps, but you you um, had it played. It played a little bit like like Smash TV, maybe on on Dual Strike. Yeah. No, that's I didn't even know that existed. Oh, it's it's so bad. I don't even know why they why they included it in the first place. You could only move in the four directions still, so it wasn't quite Smash TV. But uh, <laughs> it you you had your pick between a few different units. I think they were all land based. So it was uh, an infantry unit, um, a tank, like a small tank, uh, an artillery unit, and and maybe something like maybe probably recon. And they all had different speeds. And different powers, uh, or, or different um, uh, different levels of, of power in their shots, uh, and the artillery would be able to shoot farther. Uh, and so it's basically a StarCraft killer. Oh yeah, it, it definitely was a StarCraft killer. Uh, but you only had, I get, you only had a couple units going on at a time. I, I you know, it's been a while since I played it, but it was just, it was not great. Uh, this was the only game it, it ever appeared in, um, and and never showed back up again in the series. It was it was rough. Uh, if you wanna if you wanna blast from the past, uh, check it out. yeah, you might you might need to give it a shot for for once, uh, but definitely not something you need to spend a whole lot of time in. Uh, and they, I, I think they kind of intelligence systems knew this was kind of just a maybe a one time thing, and and didn't really give it much credence. Uh, just relegating it to one small mode in the game. Yeah, yeah. I never even like saw it. I never even paid attention to it. So that tells you. <laughs> um, there were also some light RPG elements that were added um, just for the COs, not not for the actual battles themselves, but between battles, uh, your your COs would have uh, different skills that they could unlock and and get. So you could get um, uh, it just slightly augmented their abilities. Maybe that your indirect fire. Um, power was upgraded by 5% or that you had upgraded defense against direct combat units by 5% or, or something something along those lines that you'd fill your, your CO power meter slightly faster than than normal. Um, so there was ways of kind of building up your character, your CO slightly, um, but, but those wouldn't have too much of a, an effect when you actually got into... Uh, the regular battles, and those those couldn't change during battle. You could only do those after or before. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that was kind of interesting when you had these tag matches that you that you had. Now that with the dual strike, you were able to um, have two COs on the same team fight against another team of two COs, and uh, and you could change your CO after each turn. 
at, at the end of a turn, you were able to switch them out. So if if I was somebody like Grit who could use the indirect combat units to get that extra extra um, range out of my shots, and then at the end of my turn, I switch to my other CO, which could have been Max. Now I have um, I get all the advantages of Max's direct combat when the opponent comes and fights me, but then. Um, on that last turn, I had grit there to get the extra, um, like the extra damage from my indirect fire unit. So there, it just added another small layer of complexity um, to to the already uh, pretty strategic gameplay. Yeah, and I, I at this point, I, I remember in Dual Strike feeling like maybe they messed the formula a little bit too much. Um, I, I mean, it was still a, a fine game, but I. I and maybe this is again like it's so chess-like that I'm like you already kind of designed chess again, and you're kind of messing with it. Maybe not always for the better. It's different, you know. You've moved laterally uh, in terms of design, but uh, you know, can it, can you really improve on something that I felt was so perfect in Advance Wars and uh, you know at least the Game Boy Advance Advance Wars games? Um, and I, I don't know. It, it definitely wasn't a better game than Advance Wars. It was just different. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's still my favorite in the series, but it's it's mainly because you're able, when you play uh, a skirmish, uh, an exhibition kind of match uh, in the versus mode, you're able to turn off a lot of that stuff. So you can play a more classic style of Advance Wars, but then have the uh, the, the new units that do some different things. Um, and and you, could, you could really lock it down to saying, okay, it's one CO per side, we're we're not doing that secondary front thing. There's only one front, um, and and you can play a pretty classic game of Advance Wars, and and just have the extra COs and the extra units, and that's that's what I really wanted, and that's what I really loved. But I think Intelligent Systems, especially coming off of Advance Wars Two, which got right. good reviews, but most of the reviews said, "Oh, this is really just like a map pack because mm-hmm. they've changed relatively nothing." I think in Intelligent Systems' mind, they they wanted to do something uh, since they had gotten uh, some flack for it the last time, and, and I can I can appreciate a lot of the changes that they made and a lot of the uh, the things that they added, but then I really uh, like the fact that they gave you the ability to turn off quite a few of those things and be able to play uh, play a game that you've kind of been growing up with with the other two games that have come out. Uh, now let me ask you this: Do you uh, you say you play a lot of verses? I would always pretty much just play the campaign. Um, I, I I used to play multiplayer with uh, a guy I used to work with back at Subway, and this is like forever ago now. <laughs> um, you know, this is back in two thousand two when the, it was just the Advance Wars, and we were passing it back and forth mm-hmm. um, on an SP or something. Did you play with other people, or are you just playing against the, the the AI mostly? Rarely, I had I had one friend who. Who played right. with me, and uh, it got to it got to a point after a few matches, uh, especially like a few matches a day, where he said, "Okay, you're you're better than me at this." Yeah. And I find this game fun, but I just don't want to play it with you anymore. <laughs> I, right, exactly. Okay, well now I feel a little bad, um, but uh, I wasn't. I wasn't going to take it easy on him. Of course. <laughs> right. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mostly had to play against computer. And, 
Yeah, I, I just haven't done that. I just haven't done that much uh, in my time with the series. Right, and I'm used to that. I I think that's why I like Perfect Dark more than I like GoldenEye for the Nintendo 64, just because I, there would often be times where I couldn't play it with other people. Right. And you have Perfect Dark that has bots, and then you have GoldenEye that doesn't, so one just kind of gets played Naturally. more than the other. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned that there was kind of like one and a half new games uh, in 2005. The other one is this GameCube game called Battalion Wars. Uh, it was called Advance Wars Under Fire before, uh, but then I guess Nintendo said, hey, wait a minute, this is a GameCube and not a Game Boy Advance, and why are we still calling this Advance Wars, um, even though they didn't get that memo when it was for the DS. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got Battalion Wars instead. Uh, and I never touched this game. Neither I, did I. I. I always meant to go back and try it, but I haven't touched it. I I was really interested in it until they said, ah, it's it's like a real time strategy game. It ha- it's, right. yeah. it's not really the game that you know or want to play. Uh, and to me, that just said, okay, well, you just don't want me to play this game then. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I never touched it either. Uh, it was right there at the at the point of the GameCube where there wasn't. It wasn't anything else really happening. It was 2005. Uh, Next generation's not too far off. It was, I don't know, it just was a, uh, a weird game that I felt pretty bummed out that I didn't actually want to play it once it came out. Right. And it might have just been my biases, but I always thought that everyone thought these games were garbage. But going back through for the, for the research stuff... Uh, it was actually, they they got pretty decent reviews in like the, the 75, 80% kind of range of scores, uh, if you care about scores. Um, yeah, I, I remember Bui, or, you know, Battlefield, or Battalion Wars 2, which mm-hmm. they spell it B-W-I-I on the cover, because uh, it's like a Wii. Mm-hmm. Got that going That's on again. Great. <laughs> uh, I remember that one getting some decent reviews as, uh, at some uh, particular outlets or whatever. I remember a few 80s, low 80s here and there. Right. Uh, we won't spend too much time on this, but uh, just Battalion Wars, the original game for the GameCube, it was an RTS where you were allowed to, to kind of give orders to your troops and you would also assume one of the units on the battlefield. Uh, so it was kind of like the pre-Brutal Legend uh, if you if you mm-hmm. if you like Brutal Legend. I like Brutal Legend. <laughs> um uh, I guess some other people don't. Um, <laughs> none of the nations... For the style for the gameplay. Yeah, yeah. That, probably probably more for the style than the gameplay, but... So you probably uh, wouldn't like Italian Wars. Yeah. I, I would think that I probably wouldn't like it. Um, none of the nations or the COs or anything of that made the transition. Uh, it, it doesn't really feel like an Advanced Wars game at all, except slightly in the art style. Right. Um, so, so there's really not too much to tie them together. There were no naval units... In the uh, in the first battalion wars, you were only air and air and ground units. Uh, naval units would be added in the the second one that came out in two thousand seven for the Wii, like you mentioned. Um, and I think that's really all we need to say. Uh, yeah, it, th- this is this is about this is a handheld podcast about handheld games, uh, and specifically this series is is not about those two uh, battalion wars games. Yeah, and, and, and there's there's a lot to say about Days of Ruin. I think probably. Yeah, I I have a lot to say about Days of Ruin. Uh, so Advance Wars, Days of Ruin, it was called Dark Conflict in Europe and Australia. Um, and I don't think Japan got this one at all. Yeah, this this game was actually never released in Japan. It was it was canceled after several delays. Uh, it, it's just, it's fascinating to me that right. Japan, a Japanese developer would develop a game solely for the United States. 
Well, the series must have eventually become more popular here. Like, it's the only thing I can think of. I mean, I, I know it's a, a game, a series I always look forward to. And when Days of Ruin came out, it was my must-have game. I got the game on day one. And I think there's a, a significant portion of gamers that feel the same way about the series. I, I know it's popular. I know a lot of people like it. It's not huge or anything, but... You know, it doesn't really have to necessarily be huge to, to outsell the, uh, the the somewhat smaller Japanese market, right? And and I think the I think a video for it, or at least a logo or something, was shown at the the previous year's E3, so E3 2007. Uh, and I knew I was really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this had this had even more of an overhaul than Dual Strike did. For all the things we talked about uh, before about how uh, the game changed from from Black Hole Rising to Dual Strike. Uh, Dark Ruin, really changed. yeah, Day, Days of Ruin just kind of takes the Advance Wars formula and I would say mangles it. <laughs> um, there was uh, some mangling. Others yeah. might say just modified, but uh, I'll use a more pessimistic viewpoint. Um, Days of Ruin changes the art style. It, it's much darker. It's much more realistic. Um, it's set in kind of a post-apocalyptic setting instead of the, the bright, colorful, cheery uh, Advance Wars world. Uh, that we knew from before. Uh, none of the characters, none of the... Uh, do, do the countries stay the same? Is it still Orange Star and Blue Moon? I, I don't even remember. That's, uh, oh, maybe not. I, I think maybe there was Orange Star, but I don't know if there was uh, a lot of the other ones. Yeah, you might. You know, I think you're right on that. Uh, but yeah, none, none of the characters would, would cross over, uh, which was probably my biggest problem with the game since I... I, I Gotta just, have your grit. Yeah, it's like, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I play an Advance Wars game, I turn it on, I pick grit, I go. And I couldn't do this. I had to go and find other characters, like Isabella. And the only reason I know that is because she had slightly better indirect firing statistics than other other characters did. It, it was a big shift for the, for the series, though, because... Uh, Everything was so cartoony and fun and, like, let's go get ice cream after we have this big war battle. Mm-hmm. And then it just got so melancholy and angsty with this next one, uh, with, with the Days of Ruin. It was just a really huge shift, at least in terms of this series. Right. Was Did they have an amnesia angle in this one, too? Did your main character have amnesia? I don't, I, I don't remember. I wouldn't be surprised. It's every game. Yeah, it just weird specifically since uh, I, I feel like it did. Or somebody has amnesia. One of the main characters does, and that uh, that's yeah. I think news. isn't there like a powerful girl that has amnesia or something? Yeah, that that's that's Isabella. Okay, yeah, she has amnesia. Yeah, some, something like that. But she's like a sister to these other sisters yeah. that are on the evil side. And oh my like god, this, engineered or something. This because of the- this story is Fire Emblem Awakening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the same story. I can't believe it. <laughs> um, well. That's uh that's great. I learned something new. <laughs> um but uh the in terms of like actually playing the game, uh the COs have been severely weakened. Um you, you don't have characters with these obvious traits like you did before. They they'd have a couple of little traits to them that that would only slightly change things. Um the CO powers were were a lot different to my knowledge. I, I can't remember any of them offhand. Yeah, um either. But uh, and I think that's probably part of the fault of the game. Is I remember lots of stuff about Advance, the Advance Wars series before this, and I, I think that was a lot uh, due a lot to the um, kind of the the memorable characters and and the fun they had. And then this kind of like you mentioned before, it just got melancholy and got dark and became a post apocalyptic game like a lot of other 
games around this time, and it just kind of blended in with things. And I just don't remember a lot of stuff about uh, Days of Ruin. And I played it yesterday, <laughs> trying to, to remember a couple <laughs> things. Um, with more more things with COs, um, they lost. Are they? You gained an ability to have one of your units designated as your commanding officer unit. That you could go to a factory or your HQ and and designate a unit, and that unit would become a little bit stronger and would have this um, this darkened range around them. And any any units around your commanding officer unit would also get small yeah. bonus statistics. Um, and and then. Um, so it kind of changed the way you you played in that sense, um, and and it was interesting. It it felt a little bit um, the game felt a little bit more in the fire emblem style that your le- your units during battles could level up uh, within that battle. Uh, you'd still lose all of those units after the end of the battle, but um, it was a way of rewarding you for taking care of units. That yeah, you got a, like a slightly higher rank system, wasn't it? Like a A B C or maybe yeah, it was a it was a one rank. it was a one two and then a veteran. And when okay, they when right. they became veterans, they um, I, I guess they probably got a couple percentage points of, of extra damage and, and um, defense and that kind of thing. I appreciate that kind of that trying that, but it it just mixed in everything else. That stuff just wasn't working right, and and oftentimes it just it wouldn't you wouldn't even be able to take advantage of it because uh, the units are so flimsy most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would occasionally be able to get some indirect fire units uh, up to veteran because they they wouldn't be in the fray as much, but I can't really remember a time where I had a direct unit, uh, like a tank or something, that would have lasted long enough to, to gain that that rank and to get the advantage of that. Um, let's see. Um, then we also had some, a a lot of overhaul in, in just the unit types and, and some of the names. Uh, the mega tank became, um, uh, the war tank. Uh, they added some new units. They added a motorbike, which I, I actually really like the motorbike and I did too. I thought that was a cool idea. I, I really would like that to just kind of be patched into dual strike. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but the the motorbike it was another infantry unit, so this one could capture like like other infantry units could. But because they're on a, a bike, they're able to uh, go much farther. Now they were they were really flimsy; you could defeat them pretty easily. But it was great to have a unit that you just, could... you just shove a, a stick between the spokes and they go flying. <laughs> yeah. Um, now now they weren't um, they were kind of like a special infantry unit. You couldn't pick them up in a in a helicopter like you could with uh, some of the other ones, oh, and I don't think you could put them on a. Oh, there were no black boats. Black boats were taken out in in Days of Ruin, um, but if if they had been in there, I would guess that you probably couldn't put bikes on those either. Um, so other other units, they had an anti tank unit that was kind of this. Uh, that was interesting in that it was this uh, slow moving unit that uh, also really didn't have a really great range. It was an indirect fire unit, but what was interesting is that most all indirect fire units didn't have the ability to fire back um, if, if they were attacked. 
but with this one, this this one could, and it was especially good against tanks. So you were able to um, kind of have your cake and eat it too. The the back the the uh, drawback was that they just weren't very quick, and that they also didn't have a really great range. Yeah, I remember really relying on them. Eventually, I I, I wasn't quite sure what to do with them at first, but once I I learned to use them, I started having a lot of a, a, an easier time. They were a really necessary unit uh, for a lot of the single player maps. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had a flare unit that uh, was really helpful for uh, fog of war. If you were playing in those modes, that would you'd be able to send up. I think they had three flares on them at any one time, maybe just one. Um, but you were able to uh, use that as an ability to uh, see one small part of the battlefield for for one turn. So you could shoot it into uh, enemy territory and kind of get an idea of, of where a couple of the units are, or or a bottleneck that maybe you're wondering. I wonder if that's safe that you're able to shoot uh, that flare into it. I think they also had some small offensive capabilities, but uh, they were pretty they were pretty weak units as well. Uh, we also got an, a couple aerial units in the duster plane, which kind of looks like one of those old dogfighting planes. It's a single prop uh, plane. Might have been no, nah, it was a single prop, <laughs> um, and those could those those did small amounts of damage and. Um, but we're able to attack lots of different units. Um, and then we also got a seaplane, which could come out of uh, this new naval unit. Uh, or no, those could come out of uh, carriers, aircraft carriers. And those were really weak, but they uh, you were able to get an extra flying unit out. Or able to use a flying unit at all if there was only naval units available to you. And if there were no airports on the field, that you'd still be able to have some type of aerial unit if you really wanted one. Um, and then we got another new ya- naval unit as well. We got the gunboat. Uh, I didn't use a gunboat at all that I can remember. Um, it it kind of had just one big fire, and that was it. Then it, like, it had one shot of ammunition. Uh, yeah, okay, I remember. I, I think I used it on uh, one specific level. Uh, in a very specific circumstance. But it, other than that, it wasn't... Yeah, I, I didn't have much use for it. Yeah, I think it could also carry a unit. Maybe it could only carry infantry. Yeah, it could uh, carry one unit. But it wasn't It wasn't very fast, and it just had the one big attack, and then it was kind of uh, much less useful. Um, so I just... I really never got around to using it very much. Uh, and then there were also new properties, too. There was a radar property that added... Uh, some extra vision range for you, even if you didn't have a unit in that area for if you were using Fog of War. And then also two temporary properties. There was a temporary um, shipyard and then a temporary airport uh, where you couldn't make new units out of those, but it was a place where your air units could go and refuel or your uh, or your naval units could go and, and refuel and, and get uh, their ammunition back up. Um and those could be constructed by the rig unit, which was, uh, which was a take on the old APC from the other games, uh, the um, armored personnel carrier. Hey, hey. yeah, well, way, way to go! I remembered military lingo. How about that? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, and then there were also a handful of new terrain types as well. There was a, a new wasteland that kind of went with the sandstorm style of a uh, of uh, weather, uh, that it impedes ground units' mobility. Uh, there were rough seas that would hinder the movement of naval units, 
And then there were also these ruins that kind of, that, that provided a, a decent uh, defensive cover. Um, not, not quite as good as a, as a forest or a, or a mountain, but they would provide some type of, of extra cover uh, for ground units. And then there was also mist that was added for naval units that kind of was a way uh, for them to stay more hidden for, for, it was like a forest for uh, the water for your naval units in that fashion. Um, uh, and then they also added some, some fire and uh, that would illuminate nearby areas in Fog of War and then you wouldn't be able to cross over it. Uh, there were meteors that you could uh, destroy uh, to uh, that um, were in the map and, and would be an impediment, but you could also destroy them with a couple of hits and then be able yeah. to to uh, use the paths that they opened up. And uh, and then there were also these plasma, um, like electricity barriers that would go between um, between meteors. And if you destroyed the meteor, you'd also destroy the big barrier that went along with it. So it was just another way of keeping your units to to specific parts or, and to give you some more options in the way you uh, handled the situation, whether you went the long way or you uh, destroyed the barrier uh, to, to get in there quicker, more quickly, or if you would um, keep the barrier up, uh, hoping that your opponent wouldn't be able to get to cross it and, and destroy you. Um, but yeah, at this point, I was just... I, I missed Dual Strike. I missed I missed the crazy art style. I missed Grit. I missed. Did you play um, anything online with Days of Ruin? I did. I played. I, I did play against my friend. Um, I, I believe there was a way to do local, or not local multiplayer, but uh, to actually find specific people. Um, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Some I think there was. some way through yeah. the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection. Um, yeah. And and I was able to play him, and I'd even. If I remember right, I think it even had voice chat. I want to say, <laughs> maybe I, it was it was that bad. It was bad, uh, but yeah. I yeah. I do kind of remember was it having some kind voice, of voice chat, chat, or were you like leaving voice messages with like turns or something? I I feel like there's a game that did that. Maybe it's not this. Yeah, I maybe it was just because we didn't talk too much, or maybe it only took the talking. Right between turns or something like that. I I just remember hearing some really nasty audio come out of my speakers and having it slightly sound like my friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it wasn't great, but uh, it was it was there. the The best part of Days of Ruin for me was the ability to download uh, new maps. Yeah, that and was and download user created maps. Uh, so I, because I really like making maps, I, I think I actually made a map based on Blood Gulch from Halo, <laughs> um, just in just in the way that it would have. It was actually really interesting to to kind of build that map, putting mountains where uh, hills might be, where you know that only your infantry units would be able to go up here, uh, and then to to try to build in the the uh, the balance that that a, a map like Blood Gulch would have for a shooter, but you're trying to do it for a for a um, a turn-based strategy game. That was that was pretty cool. Uh, I don't think they kept any sort of statistics on like how many times your your level was downloaded or anything like that. Um, but but that definitely was able to uh, keep a little keep keep that game alive for me a little bit. That I was playing a lot in the versus mode anyway, 
and to be able to uh, find a couple new maps, even though I would never in a million years be able to get through all the maps that were already provided on the, on the game card to begin with. Right. Um, okay. Now, I mean, at this point, I feel like the, the path forward for Advance Wars is clear coming out of Days of Ruin because that is the last game, right? That I, I'm not forgetting anything. Right. That's the last one we got. So you just bring back the old art style. You kind of take a step back, make it, it you bring back a lot of stuff from uh, the last couple ones that weren't Days of Ruin. Uh, you improve the graphics as good as they are as Fire Emblem. You just add a ton of online features, and you got a, you know, you got a great selling game right there, right? Like uh, that's all they have to do. Yeah, man, that sounds great. Like, you've, they've shown that they can move into uh, polygon models and and kind of keep them in a somewhat cutesy art style. It's mm-hmm. it's a little more cutesy than Fire Emblem's ever been, but it would work absolutely perfectly for for Advance Wars that already has that kind of pre cutesy look to it. Um, I would like them to see uh, see them take a little bit more uh, of a chance with the uh, overworld map. Maybe um, I know. I mean, it still has to be pretty simple, but uh, things are still kind of static on the, mm-hmm. on Fire Emblem when you're looking at the map. And I would like to see, like, for the choppy seas, if they bring that back. Right. Uh, I would like to see actually choppy seas and the boats, you know, kind of moving on there. But that's just kind of fluff. I I just want the game to be uh, uh, well put together, as well put together as they always have been. But prior to Days of Ruin. And then just, you know, a full suite of online features that the 3DS is, is capable of. I have a friends list. I mean, I just want to see people playing. I want to click and start a game, send them a turn, or start a live game, either way. Mm-hmm. But, it, it, I mean, they could even make it like a, a, a download-only game. They wouldn't because there's too much money to make it a, 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 a cartridge game, but they could, and I think they, there's a real clear path for that as well. Yeah, and, and I'd love to see some kind of Street Pass features, especially if it was something in the way like Street Fighter does it, where you have an army that you build up, and then they have an army they build up, and then oh, you yeah. cross paths, and they just automatically fight. The way Fire Emblem that does it right now. Uh, that, you, something like that is that's would definitely be in the cards. Yeah. Cards. Uh-huh. How does Fire Emblem do a Street Pass? I think you were about to say, because I, I have no idea. Oh, okay. I, I've gotten... I'm lucky. <laughs> Despite living in Missouri, where I feel like I'm the only person with a 3DS almost all the time, uh, I have gotten two Street Passes. Uh, I Two Street Passes for Fire Emblem. I've, right. I've had a, a small number before. Um, I It might be that just any time you Street Pass anyone... They'll they'll generate one whether and if there's if the person actually has an advance or has a fire emblem game card that you'll get their fire emblem team their fire emblem team specifically and if you just street pass somebody randomly they'll just generate one for you. I've um, had two street passes since I've had fire emblem in my thing, and I I don't I don't know if I got anything specifically for fire emblem. I'll double check, mm-hmm. but I don't think I did. Okay, uh, maybe maybe I just underestimate the popularity of fire emblem in mid Missouri. <laughs> Um, but there's a part of me that kind of doubts that. I went out to the casino and had my 3DS in my pocket, like the casino they just put here in Columbus, yeah. and came back not expecting to have a street pass, and I did. I'm like, who the hell else had their 3DS at the casino? <laughs> yeah, I've taken mine to uh, to baseball games before and have come back and gotten no street passes. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that was... I yeah, kind of exactly. figured. I kind of figured nobody would be there, but you know, maybe there'd be that one kid who who right, doesn't yeah, who maybe. doesn't want to watch the game at all and just brought his 3ds. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I will be at PAX East uh, this year. And, I, got, uh, I, I got the 101 
in one day, was it? I think there's like, you have to get a hundred in one day for one of the challenges. Oh yeah. The street passing thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got that at, at PAX East last year. And, and I definitely got all my puzzles swapped with everybody and, mm-hmm. and yeah, and destroyed all that stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to going back again this year. Because last year it was uh, like the big the big game to play then was uh, Kid Icarus, and well at least Street Pass wise, um, so to and you could trade uh, like weapons, and I didn't think Street Pass was very great, but I got a ton of them anyway just because you're going in a convention hall with a bunch of other people. Right, it, it, it's unavoidable, yeah. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doubly excited that now there's actually a, a Street Pass centric game out there that uh that i really enjoy playing and that i'll have a ton of people at pax east to play yeah, that'll, that'll um, be, that'd be cool but but like you like you asked uh i should probably answer that question the way street pass works for fire emblem is that when you uh pass somebody and get their team uh that they they actually create a street pass team in their options and then that gets sent over to you and it just pops up on the map like um like a spot pass character would or, okay. or like or like a regular enemy would that just comes over time Cool. Um, and and yeah, they they work exactly like spot pass characters. You can uh, recruit them to your team if you defeat them, or you can just buy their stuff, uh, and then they show up in your uh, list of um, avatars that you can then rechallenge or or refight or anything like that. Um, so, uh, but they're but they're all player controlled, and usually the because they're the player units. They have a lot of flexibility in what type of unit they can be. So uh, I think my guy right now might be an assassin, um, just because I wanted to get a couple of those great skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I fought a sage one time, and then I actually fought somebody who who went down the kind of regular path and was a grandmaster. And uh, okay. we're talking a lot about Fire Emblem. This is, <laughs> this is about Advance yeah, okay, Wars. Oh, yeah, okay. um, but but yeah. Advance Wars. Like, um, I, I feel like, yeah, like I said, I think there's a clear path forward. I just... I want them. They, I, they haven't done it at any of these. I mean, Fire Emblem has it's only just come out, so it's not surprising. But I want either a Nintendo Direct soon or at E3 at the latest, where they announce that it's happening. Because you know, there's so many months between that announcement when it finally comes out, and, and I want one as soon as possible. I mean, I think the 3DS is a, a, a pretty good handheld right now. Uh, there's a lot of people playing. I would like to have one of those games where I, I do want to be on my 3ds playing online and it's you know it's one of my favorite series of of all time and i'm getting a lot of that from fire emblem right now but there is there's that i would like to finally kind of get online and start playing other people like really seriously like with with a bunch of other friends and i think finally the 3ds would make that possible and i want that to happen asap yeah and it it totally makes sense we haven't had an advanced wars since 2008 so that's five years ago yeah god um and then like with the popularity of this Fire Emblem, it shows that there's still a market out out there for this kind of a game. Uh, Advanced Wars just seems to make sense, uh, so I'd love to see it as well. Um, I, I think we've kind of wrapped it up. Unless you can think of anything else that uh, we didn't re- didn't talk about, uh, I, I don't think so. Not, nothing specific. I just I, I do think it's a special series. It's uh, it does something it's been doing for a long time, and it does it very well. Um, and, and it's Again, Intelligent Systems is just one of those developers that I'm always going to be paying attention to what they're releasing next. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, it, you know, just outside of their turn-based strategy games, those push mode and crash mode games are also pretty special. They're just really good puzzle games. And, and 
I, I don't know how you get developed that that's uh, capable of doing so many things so well, but they, they're one of them. Um, the Paper Mario series is great as well, uh, even if the last one wasn't great. But they, they just do so many things interestingly. Um, but yeah, I, I just I got a, a deep love for them, and Advance Wars is definitely at the top of that. Yeah, very, very well said. I agree completely. Uh, Jeff, uh, I regretted to I from didn't mention it uh, at the very beginning of the show, but you're uh, you're somewhat internet famous. Uh, you're a multi platinum. Uh, artist. Red, <laughs> red uh, game journalist. Uh, yeah, I, I write for Gamesbeat um, uh, under Shoe, and uh, I just kind of cover the news. I'm the news guy. I like doing news about you know six to eight stories a day, all about video games and stuff like that. Um, I don't know it's good. I like it a lot. I'm, uh, I'm also on Twitter at Jeff Grub, just my name, just uh, two B's in Grub. Yeah, I, I like I like that I follow you and the Gamesbeat Twitter. And every time I see the, those two, are, shots, yeah. they're always connected. And I'm like, yep, uh, Jeff wrote another story. <laughs> it's, 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 um, it's in the, the WordPress. It's actually in the back end. It's this thing, this publicized feature. And I got both those. And if I do something that's like going to go to the front page of VentureBeat as well, um, it'll shoot it out to that Twitter account. I also have one that was this old website that I used to run that I changed the name. It also sends it out to that. So it's going out. The exact same tweet, the four different tweets, and if anyone <laughs> follows all four, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, well, if you want to uh, follow Gamers on the Go, you can do that. That is at GOTG Podcast. Uh, the Tumblr is tumblr.com. No, no, no. It's Tumblr works something different, right? It's tumblr.gotg. Ah, who knows? GOTG.tumblr.com. There you. Hey, hey, that sounds. Like a, that sounds you. like a URL to me. Uh, that's that's good. Um, Facebook.com slash GOTG podcast uh, and then GOTG podcast uh, at gmail.com if you'd like to write in uh, and suggest uh, games that you'd like to see on, on future episodes or you want to tell us how wrong we are about Advance Wars Days of Ruin, um, which I, I don't think you're going to do that because yeah. you'd be crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone that picked up that was their first Advance Wars game. I, I want to talk to that person. Oh, so, yeah. That's I'm, like a bizarro world. That would... Oh, man, that would be insane. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, I'm not sure what the next show will be. Uh, people who have listened to this show will have heard that statement made by me a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I've, been, I've been trying to do over these, over these 13 episodes that I've done so far, have a different guest on for each one of them. And for 12 of them I have, and then I did one on my own that, uh, that didn't go uh, super well. <laughs> um, it, it's tough talking alone on these things. Yeah, um, I, 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 I listen to a few, and whenever they're like, got to go solo, I'm like, I think I'm just going to have to skip this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel too bad for them often. Yeah, my Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 episode went uh, maybe 20 minutes, maybe maybe shorter. Uh, yeah, I just, it was a great Game Boy Advance game, but uh, didn't have anybody who wanted to talk about that with me. Uh, anyway, I, Jeff, I think you might be uh, my last unique guest so far. We're going to start cycling? Um, I, I might start cycling back again. Okay. I have a couple people in mind for, for some specific shows that I want to do. Um and and we'll see how that goes. But uh, you send me another email with a list of games to choose from, and I'll uh, I'll pick one out, and then I'll see you in like you know a month or two. Absolutely, that'd be great. Uh, well, well, Jeff, I definitely want to thank you for coming on and talking to me Thanks about Advance Wars. God, I love this. I love this series, and I'd love to see it uh, make a return to the 3DS. 
uh, right. sometime. Hopefully, we'll see something. In Not a Wii U game, 3DS. I, mean, I don't think it will, but just 3DS. Yeah, yeah. I, we've had we've had Fire Emblem games that have come yeah, to the come to consoles. But yeah, I agree. This is a this is definitely a, a series that, despite its roots in console gaming, I think is is much meant for uh, the handheld uh, platform, which is what Gamers definitely. on the Go is all about. Um, oh, one more thing I should probably mention on one of these shows. Um, uh, Gamers on the Go has been expanded now into uh, a column that happens every other week over at GamesOrEvil.com, uh, where I I just write uh, about a thousand words on uh, on some type of handheld game. Uh, there have been two uh, that have been out so far. Uh, the first one was Super Mario Land, which was the same uh, beginning game as as I did for the inaugural show of Gamers on the Go. And then last week I wrote about Fire Emblem because. I was only about 75 hours in it at that point. Uh, I'm now way over 90. Um, <laughs> I I, uh, I kind of love that game. Um, I, I love I, what I've had. I put into it, like I said, about 15 hours. But as soon as we get done here, girlfriend's at work. I'm going to probably pop it open and play another three hours before she gets home. All right. Well, I won't take up any more of your valuable time then because that sounds... Like a really great idea, I would like yeah, to do the same. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a treat. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you guys soon. Hey, 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 hey,